Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Today, we're going to be covering the fifth part of the Quest for Wisdom series on Job part two, the wisdom of the unseen. Dick did a brilliant job, a fantastic job two weeks ago on the wisdom of the wounded, which was Job part one. And he gave us practical decisions that we could make in response to our experience of pain and hardship. And today we'll be reading from the same wisdom book, the book of Job. But instead of looking at it from Job's perspective, which is similar to our own, we will be attempting to see the events in light of God's perspective. A church leader went out on a Friday afternoon to go and visit some of his uh, church family. And at one house, it was really obvious that people were home. But he kept knocking and knocking and nobody came to the door. And so eventually, in a bit of a huff, how dare they, he thought. He got his card out and and wrote on there Revelation chapter 3.20 that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. And he stuck it through the letterbox. He felt pretty good about that. Anyway, the following Sunday morning came and the same card that he had written on ended up in the collection box. The church leader thought it was a little strange, but noticed that below the message that he left was written Genesis 3 verse 10 that said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked (laughs) and I hid (laughs) myself. The early frustration had turned into a bit of a relief. Uh, How often... Do we get frustrated, upset, uh, grumpy? I'm grumpy quite a lot. How often do we get like that at someone for not doing something that we thought uh, they should have done? When in reality, it turns out that they had a fairly valid and genuine reason why they didn't. And we just weren't aware of it at the time. It happens all the time. Our humane response for when things don't go our way is to blame. We do it all the time. Something doesn't happen the way we want it to or expected it to or we thought right to. That's a big one. And we immediately choose blame and shift it to something or someone. And we're talking about Job again this week, as I mentioned, and Dick spoke about last week, that it is a book understandably often associated with suffering. Of course it is. Now, the story goes a bit like this. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, Job has everything he could ever ask for. He's righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Then, bam, everything goes wrong. Everything. He loses everything for for no legitimate reason that they could see or could fathom. He has everything taken away from except from his life, which later he asks to be taken away from him. His friends attempt to comfort him, reason with him as to why this was happening to him, and they shift blame here, there, and everywhere. But what we often forget is that when Job is hurting and grieving and processing all that has happened to him, he had no idea of most of what happened in chapters one and two. He wasn't aware of the conversation that was had between God and Satan, because that is where it all begins. And that's where we'll be reading from today. 
Chapter 1 of Job from verse 6 says this. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, oh, from moaning around through the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you seen my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, though? Said Satan. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the whole land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has. He will then surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, don't lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then one day, after this conversation had had, the scripture goes on, Job's animals got stolen, his servants had been killed, his sheep and shepherds were burnt to the ground, his camels and servants were stolen, he had a lot of stuff. And all of his children were crushed by a house that had fallen down. Job did not sin or turn from God. Instead, he, of course, grieves, he tears his robe, he shaves his head and falls to the ground in worship. That's the end of chapter one. And then chapter two follows with a similar conversation between Satan and God, with God saying to Satan, verse three of chapter two, Job still maintains his integrity. Though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason, Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now, why don't you stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones? He will then surely curse you to your face then. So the Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands, but do not take his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Yeah. So we've already established the book of Job is, of course, does touch on the experience of suffering. But instead of answering the questions that we want it to answer, it sheds light elsewhere. So the question when reading Job is not why it happened. And I'll explain that in the reason. It's not why it happened. But the real question is, how is Job going to respond? How will he react? What move will he make next? Because the writer's already explained why this happens to Job. The writer's already described how the deal went down. We just read it. Satan approaches God. They have this exchange and a wager is established. They basically form a bet. A bet to see if Job will continue worshipping God or turn from him. And Job, having no idea what's going on, must undergo this horrific ordeal to determine the winner. Satan plays a game. Of course he does. He's always playing games. He might be playing a game with you right now. Satan plays a game. God, however, doesn't play games. And he knows exactly what's going on. But Satan plays a game. And he says, come on, God. Seriously? Humans? 
they only follow you because you keep blessing them all the time. Come on! No pain, no gain. That's not with your people. There's no challenge, there's no pain. People only follow you because they get something out of it. Satan here was accusing God. He's an accuser, he does that. He's accusing God of creating a people who only love the chickens for the eggs and meat that it produces. I know a lot of people who love chickens for who they are. But Satan is saying, God, you only love, that people only love you because of what you give them and what they get out of it. He was basically saying, God, your way is flawed. Job was a wealthy man. He had everything he needed. Of course, if God stopped blessing him, he would have everything to lose. And so an attempt to accuse God's character was made by Satan. And so God orchestrates this bet. Job is a good man. You'll see. Throw what you want at him. He doesn't need blessing after blessing. I know that he loves me for who I am. He obeys me because he is righteous and he is a God-fearing man. Do your worst. He won't turn from me. So there you have it. The reason why Job goes through what he does is because God lets it happen. And why? To prove that people can choose God, whatever the cost, when they do not see what is going on behind the scenes. You see, throughout Job's response to this heartbreak and pain that he goes through, he puts the wrong person on trial. And we do this. He puts God on trial when in reality he is on trial. He says, uh, I've done nothing wrong. His friends go, you must have sinned. You must have made a mistake. And Job goes, I haven't. I haven't. I'm a person of integrity. I have done nothing wrong. And then he says later to one of his mates, know that God has wronged me. He must have done something wrong to me. He has wronged me. And then he he puts God on trial instead of himself. Why me, God? God, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? Where are you? Where are you? Joe puts God on trial and we do it but God has done nothing wrong and we can see the resemblance in Jesus can't we being on trial I'd love to go in that uh, into that a bit more but you can see the resemblance where Jesus was put on trial uh, even though he did nothing wrong because God is unable to be justly put on trial because there's nothing that he can be accused of he is untrial worthy for he has done nothing wrong he's all knowing he's all loving he's all powerful He's outside of time. He's created everything that there is to exist. And why do we find this so hard to understand? Because God made it that way. If we knew everything that was going on, if we understood everything that was going on, we'd all be God. And that would be terrible. It would be awful. It's not possible. But if it was, it would be terrible. So Job suffers, right? His his friends gather round him, conversations are had. Job cries out to God. And here's the fun bit, if you're not having fun already. Here's the really fun bit, right? God 
re-enters the scene. It's always fun when God re-enters the scene. God re-enters the scene. His speech lasts from chapter 38 to 42, right? And one of the interesting things about God's response is what he doesn't say. And you might have already noticed this when reading. We said towards the start, Job is a book referred about suffering. Of course it is. But God doesn't even mention suffering. He doesn't even mention what Job has gone through. God's speech avoids suffering altogether, which is the very thing that Job and his mates have been focused on for 36 chapters. During that time, their conversations, their figuring out process, they've focused on suffering. And why have they done that for 36 chapters? Because they cannot see anything else. There has been so much unseen for them, that's all they've been able to focus on. And what God doesn't do is, of course, let Job in on the bet that was made. He he doesn't let Job know what's actually going on. He didn't tell him about that bigger picture, because if he did, the wager would have been flawed. Through Job's suffering, Satan is being proved wrong that man can believe in God for no reason at all. And the bit that some of us might really struggle with is the part where God doesn't show any sympathy for Job, for his condition and for what he's gone through. Actually, he does the contrary, he does the opposite. God lays into him a bit. (laughs) You can read it, it's there. I'm not making this up. God lays into him a bit and tells him to brace himself like a man. If that's not laying into you, I don't know what it is. Brace yourself. Brace yourself like a man because I'm going to ask you some questions and you're going to have to answer me. God is a God of justice. And so Job 38, verse 2 to 3, this is what God says to him. Who is this? Who are you that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? You don't know, Job. I love you, but you don't know. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And so God's message uh, boils down to this. Until you know a little more about running the physical universe and how it all works, don't tell me how to run the moral universe. Whilst talking about his creation, you can read it in Job 38, 39, 40, 42, I think it goes on to. God criticises Job for doing one thing, limiting his point of view. Job has focused on himself the whole time instead of focusing on the one who is mighty. And we might respond and say, well, that's, that's unfair, isn't it? He went through so much. Surely he could, you know, catch a break. So much heartache and so much turmoil. Can this be okay? Is this okay? Is this the God that I believe in, that he can do this? And the book of Job's response to this question is a counter question for us. And it's this. Is... God enough. Is God enough? Is it enough to believe in God 
when there is so much unseen? Is it possible for humans to believe in God when he appears, appears to be the enemy? Is it possible for man to have faith in God that isn't a product of our environment or circumstance? Is it possible to have faith in what God is doing when we do not know what's going on behind the scenes? Is it possible to be content in not knowing what is going on behind the scenes? Is it enough for you to believe in God who doesn't always answer why? Is it enough for you to believe in God for no reason at all? We may not understand. Let me rephrase. We will never understand. We will never understand. But where else will I go? Where else would we go? God's perspective is so much greater than our own. It's, it's complete. His perspective is complete and ours is not. So I'll ask the question again. Is it enough to believe in God when we don't and we'll never see the whole picture. And so Job faced a crisis of faith, not of suffering. And we do it too. It could be a a loss of a loved one. And I know this last year and a half has been nuts. It could be an illness. It could be a tragedy, a job loss, a job change. It could be a family crisis, a global crisis of what we've gone through. Whatever the circumstance, we so easily fix our eyes on the seen circumstances rather than fix our eyes on the one who knows all things, the things unseen. And it seems apt to finish by reading just a short bit of Isaiah 55 together. And I always come back to this when um, these sorts of questions come up. Isaiah 55 from verse 8 says... For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so God says to you today, I know all there is to know. When you're in pain, when you're struggling, when you experience what seems to be the worst thing that could ever happen to you, he's asking you the question, am I enough? Am I enough? And if it's not, (laughs) because we all have to answer this question, right? If it's not, God's not going to force you to do anything. He loves you too much. He's not going to force you to love him. Of course he's not. But we have to answer this question. Is God enough? And I think it would be foolish for us not to give you the opportunity to answer this question. Uh, For those who are sensing a nudge from the Holy Spirit, if you've never given your life to Christ, this is a question that you must answer. Is God enough and if you would love to do that today then we would love to invite you to do that today because it is the greatest uh, thing that you could do is God enough 
yes. If your answer is yes, then all you have to do is pray this prayer, simple prayer, um, and you can say it right now. And it goes something like this. Father God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your son Jesus to die on the cross for the world. I'm sorry for the things I've done that do not please you. I want to live my life from this day on, following you alone. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your freedom. I receive your life and your love and I choose to make you my God. You are enough for me. Amen. And so if you just said that prayer, welcome to the family. You are now part of what God calls the church. Not just Sweden Church, Christians everywhere. You are now part of that family. So welcome. Please don't celebrate by yourself. Please don't do that. Tell someone, message me, whatever you're going to do. Let's celebrate together. Now, for those of us that question has struck a chord with this morning, today might also be a day where you can receive freedom by saying yes to that question. You may have been Christians Christians for years. And sometimes we choose uh, the opposite of saying yes. Is it enough to believe in God for no reason at all? Yes. Yes. Is it enough for you to have faith in what God is doing, even when there is so much we cannot see or understand? Yes. Yes. And so whatever you're facing at the moment, whatever pain you're feeling, whatever you've lost or losing or gained without wanting to, is God enough? And after all that Job went through and after being confronted by God about his ignorance, Job responds in the only way he knows, where else would I go? And so this is Job's response after God has responded to him. And this is chapter 42 from verse 1. Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be stopped. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? And surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now and I will speak and I will question you and you shall answer me. Well, God, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What is your response to the question, is God enough? Let's pray together and we're going to sing. Father, heavenly Father, in the heavenly realms, thank you for your love. Thank you for your power. And we choose to worship you in the midst of all that we are working through. You are enough. There is no one greater than you, God. There is no one higher than you, God. I may not see, we may not understand, but we trust that you do, 
that there are things going on outside of our understanding that we have no idea about. We trust that you know what you're doing and that you are still good. Help us to live like you are enough. Help us to speak like you are enough and help us to think like you are enough. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your love. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' holy, precious and powerful name. Amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.